The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. The month of July has been the month in which we have been trying to give emphasis to evangelism. And we presented last week a lesson about how I can most effectively serve God. The lessons next Sunday morning will also be in this same vein as we talk about. And today I want to speak just a few moments concerning evangelism, Jesus style. I hope that you will study along with us. The text that was read uh, tells us about how that a certain man who was a king made a marriage for his son. And he went out and invited folks to come. They had already received their wedding invitation, but they did not show up. And then toward the end of that setting, uh, when the king heard about what had happened, he was angry. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their, their cities. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Today I want to speak to you about what I believe one of the most neglected commandments of all of God's Word. Today I speak to you on what may be the greatest, the Christian's greatest fear. If you, you would say, you know, what is the greatest fear that I have? I'm sure that this would rank very high, that is, of personal evangelism the sharing of one's faith with someone else. Now, God does not expect us to do what we cannot do. God does not expect a person that has no teeth to brush their natural teeth. God does not expect a bald-headed man to comb his hair. But God does expect us to do what we can. And the Scriptures tell us that we are to tell others the message that we have received. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said to his apostles, Eleven of them were present when he gave this great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so here is the unending cycle of Christianity. We are to teach. And after we have taught, we're to baptize folks in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then we are to teach them to observe all things and whatever the Lord has commanded. In Mark 16 and verse 15, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in Luke chapter 24 and 46, he said, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now I have a question as we begin our lesson today. How do you feel about personal evangelism? I don't want to be mean-spirited today. I don't want to be ugly. But I would like for us to take a little survey this morning. Question number one. How many people have I helped lead to Christ? How many people have I helped? Maybe you helped by giving an, an invitation to a service. Maybe you helped by knocking on some door. Maybe you encouraged some relative uh, to study the Bible and come to a Bible class. The question is, how many people have I helped lead to Christ? I wonder how you would put that in that particular slot today. Number two, how many people do I now have in my heart, have my heart set on to win to Christ? If I ask you today for a list, please get out your list of those that you're trying to lead to Christ. Would it be possible that I'm speaking to some of us today 
that have zero on our list. We don't have a list in our billfold or in our purse. We don't have a list even in our minds of those that we're endeavoring to lead to Christ. Then I would like for you to please tell me how are we carrying out the commission that God gave every Christian to evangelize the world and teach those that are lost about the gospel of Christ. Number three, approximately how many hours or minutes per week do I average talking to people about the Lord? Now, I know you talk to them about football and about baseball and about cooking. I know that you talk to your friends and neighbors about many subjects. Here is the issue this morning, and that is how many hours or minutes do I speak per week talking to people about the Lord? Would you be honest this morning and say, you know, I, I'm afraid that I can't remember a single soul I've talked to in the last month. And I'm ashamed of that. We need to repent this morning because we are not carrying out the commission. Oh, we will come and take the Lord's Supper and we will sing and we will give money when the collection basket comes by. But here, ladies and gentlemen and beloved brethren, here is that which God has authorized us to do and that is to tell others about his message of redemption. Number four, do I pray fervently that I might become a better soul winner? Am I praying that God would help me to be a better soul winner? Number five, do you think you will become a soul winner until you try? May I ask that question again? Do you think that you will ever become a soul winner until you try? And then number six, when do I plan to begin? Well, if you haven't already started, please write in the word today. Today would be a great day, wouldn't it? Today would be a wonderful day for me uh, to talk to others about the Lord. Now, the Lord does not expect me to do what I cannot do, but the Lord does expect me to do what I can do. Please remember, God knows what I really can do and what I cannot do. And I cannot deceive God. And I will be responsible for not making some attempt. I am commissioned to do what I can, not what I cannot do, but what I can do. In a survey that was recently given, and I've seen this survey many, many times, but it continues about the same numbers, the average church baptizes about 5% of its membership annually. That's about what we do here, isn't it? About 5%. We think we're doing really great if we baptize 40 or 50 a year with 800 or 900 members. That would be about that number, 5%. But if you take away the children, that number comes to about 2%. And so 2%, it takes 98% of us uh, to uh, uh, evangelize those that we are, are teaching the gospel of Christ. Now, we cannot always measure true success by the people we bring up into the Baptist. Noah, for example, all of us would say Noah was a great servant of God. But Noah preached for more than 100 years. And when he calculated those that he had led to God, there were only eight, including himself. Jeremiah, Jeremiah preached for more than 40 years. Jeremiah, how did you do? How many people did you lead to God? Jeremiah would have to say, I don't know a single person. You mean zero? That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, Jeremiah, why didn't you get discouraged? Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you say, let somebody else do it? Because God had told me to be that sounding voice to those that would might to have the opportunity to turn to him. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, how many did you uh, turn to God? Ezekiel would also have to say, as far as I know, not a single one did I ever lead to Christ. Well, beloved, that shows us that God is not interested in the number. He is interested in the effort that we put forth. Isaiah said, 
so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. That's God making a promise. And he said that when my servant, when that word goes from the mouth of my servant, that word will not return to me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I send it. This is a promise that God makes to all of us. In 1 Corinthians 6 and ver 3 and verse 6, Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Our job is to do the planting. Our job is to, is to water. And then it will be God who will promise, and he makes that promise to us, that I will give the increase. The greatest need in the church today. What would you say the greatest need in the church today is? What really is the greatest need that we have in the church today? Do we need more luxurious buildings? Do we need finer, more commodious buildings and more beautiful buildings? Is that the greatest need in the church of our Lord today? Uh, do we need more buses? Uh, what is the greatest need that you would say? Do we need uh, more benevolent money uh, helping those that are in need? What is the greatest need in the church today? Well, there's more to the game than just playing, uh, planning a play in the huddle. In an editorial quite a number of years ago, Brother Rule Lemons wrote the following. He said, let's get out of the huddle. A few days ago, Brother Lemons says, we were watching a great game on television. There was fierce competition, and the score was close. Time was running out, and the team that was ahead was in the huddle. They stayed there. They stayed in the huddle. They stayed, and they stayed, and they stayed. And the refuge, uh, referee blew his whistle, and he penalized the team for delaying the game. They had stayed too long in the huddle. Now, huddles are absolutely necessary, but games are not won in the huddles. They are won on the line. Strategy sessions are important, but we can stay in the huddle too long. Many an important piece of work is discussed in the elders' meeting, and it's postponed until the next meeting. And at the next meeting, we discuss the same old thing again. I, I, I'm ashamed to tell you, and I've been attending meetings uh, for more than 50 years, but I'm ashamed to tell you that many, many hours are spent wasting time in the huddle. And uh, we talk about things only to talk about them again next week and next week and next week, look at the agenda. How long are we going to stay in the huddle, beloved brethren? Elders should realize that the great referee may severely penalize them for staying in the huddle too long. The congregation can do the same thing. They huddle every Sunday. They leave the huddle to re-huddle next Sunday. They never manage to get down on the line of scrimmage. In fact, the whole church is gaining a worldwide reputation for huddling. We flock to ourselves, we talk to ourselves, we huddle with our heads down around the Lord's table, and some of the teams are even careless about making the huddle. Some of our team members don't even show up for the huddle. But worship is essential, and worship is important, but only if it inspires us to get out and do something, and that something is to share the message of redemption with somebody else. Brethren, do you think that you're doing all that God wants you to do when you're in the huddle? You're not going to win the game in the huddle. And we're not going to evangelize our community in the huddle. We need to get out on the line. The enemy is rolled back, not from the huddle, but from, from the line of scrimmage. 
It takes all the effort every individual is capable, uh, capable of putting forth in order to win. Are we concerned about trying to be what our master was? His goal and his purpose was to seek and to save the lost. And if we're imitators of Christ, why is that not our goal today? If we want to be like our master, and Paul commanded us that we are to be imitators of him even as he was of Christ, why don't we get out of the huddle and teach a lost and rapidly uh, inspire the world? Instead, we had rather huddle back on the line of scrimmage and just talk about the battle and talk about the battle and sit down and open the book on somebody's kitchen table is what we need to be doing and quoting a thus saith the Lord to them. One gospel meeting that we hold here at Roebuck Parkway is not carrying out the commission that God has given to all of us. It will just not get the job done. Now, I'm all in favor of a gospel meeting. I want us to knock on those 12,000 doors that we are set our goal to knock on. That's doing far more than a lot of churches are doing. But I'm saying to you uh, that uh, we need to do more than just a one-month one week out of the 52-week effort to evangelize the world in which we live. The greatest need today is for the church to get back on the mission that God has assigned. In Luke 19.10, the Bible says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God could have done anything He wanted to do with Jesus, but He made Him a soul winner. We have many capable workers in the huddle, but we desperately need personal workers out in the field. In Luke chapter 1, after these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and he sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the vineyard. Christ needs you. Not Uncle Sam needs you, beloved, but Christ needs you. He is the head. We are the feet. We are His voice. We are His hand. And the Lord needs us. We are to be the salt of the earth. Matthew 5 and verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. And salt preserves. But we cannot preserve sitting on the shelf. We've got to rub that salt into the meat. We've got to put that salt where that salt is intended to be to preserve that item. And so it is with us. We need genuine concern for those that are lost. Paul said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul, what keeps you going on and on and telling others about the message of redemption? Why is it that you cannot rest? Why is it that you spend every night and every day sharing the message with somebody else because I recognize that those that are not taught the gospel are lost. If everyone had a terminal illness and you had, the, you had found the cure for that illness, would you share it or would you keep it for yourself? Beloved, we have the treasure. We have uh, the message of redemption and we must not selfishly keep it. Reasons that we need to be a, a personal worker. I want to just simply list a few reasons that I'm convinced that all of us here. Remember, God doesn't want you to do what you can't do, but God does want you to do everything you can do. If you can invite that person that checks out the grocery, 
If you can invite that person when you go into the service day, God expects us to do what we can do. And that's all that God expects us to do, but He does expect us to do that. And we need to constantly keep that on our mind. I believe one of the big reasons that we're not more evangelistic is that we get, we get just sidetracked and, and, and we get unconcerned about those that are our friends and neighbors who know not the message of redemption. Here are some reasons that we need to be personal workers. Number one, it is a direct command from God. The text that we read in Matthew 20, 20, he said uh, that we're to go and we're to teach all nations. And then he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, and that we're to teach those that have been taught. We would not forsake the Lord's Supper. There are people in this assembly today that have not missed the Lord's Supper in the last ten years. We would not lie. There are those of us that would rather have our tongues cut out as to lie. We would not steal. We don't go down to Walmart or down to some store and, and see how much we can take out of that store. Yet we ignore the injunction where it says that we're to go and to teach those the gospel. This is the great commission. This is not the great omission. This is the great commission. We are to go and we are to evangelize the world. It is necessary for our self-preservation. That's the second major reason. In uh, Luke chapter 13, Jesus told this parable. He said a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and brought fruit thereon and found none. Sought fruit thereon and found none. And he said to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And so what is the Lord going to do for us? The fruit of the Christian, one of the fruits, is another Christian. And uh, how long has it been since we have borne fruit for our master? If an employee does not do his job right, would you keep him around? If we do not teach, the blood is going to be upon our hands. In Acts 18 and verse 6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own head. I am clean from henceforth. I will go to the Gentiles. Can we say the same thing to our neighbors and to our friends? Can we say, you know, I've done everything that I know to do to encourage you to become a Christian and to have opportunity to study the Bible with you and your blood be upon your own, own hand. But look at Ezekiel. When I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Brethren, that's one of the scariest verses in all the Bible. He says you are exempt from any responsibility if you make that effort and make that attempt to warn the wicked of his wicked way. But if you just remain silent and you do nothing at all to win him to Christ, he said, his blood I'm going to require at your, your hand. We need to be like the early Christians. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word of God. The word preaching here is not keruzo, but it's the word euangelistas, and it simply means that they went everywhere teaching the word of God, both men and women. Wherever they went, they went teaching the word of God. In Acts 26 and verse 20, 
But I showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. We should do that to be like the early church. We're not like the early church. We may have the right name. We may have the right kind of worship. But, beloved, unless we're sharing the message with others, we're not like the early New Testament church. The fourth reason that I need to be a soul winner is because I'm a debtor. Paul said in Romans 1 and 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greek and the barbarian, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul, if you borrowed some money, no. But I have the message of salvation. And as long as I have that message of redemption, I have an obligation to share it with others. And then I would say, because of the joy of being a soul winner. Joy, uh, it gives joy, first of all, to the Heavenly Father. In Luke 15 and 7, I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just who need no repentance. Who is going to rejoice when that sinner comes down the aisle uh, when we, following a Bible class, uh, encourage them to obey those. Who is going to... Re it's going to be jo God. It's going to be the Father who rejoices. There is joy in the presence of the angels. Maybe the angels are happy too. But I believe in the presence of the angels refers to that father. When that prodigal son came back home, you think that father's heart was glad or sad? Well, you know he was thrilled. And then secondly, there is that personal joy. In Philippians 4 and verse 1, Therefore, my beloved, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Look at Paul's attitude toward those that he had been responsible for their conversion. In 3 John verse 14, or verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. There is more to the game than just staying in the huddle. And what I'm saying to us today is that we need to get out of the huddle. Why, beloved, we could encourage people to come, invite them to come to services, and if you invite a hundred people and every one of them say, I'm not interested, and tell you to get lost and go pay your paper somewhere else, at least we've done the will of God. We've done what God told us to do. But as long as we are smug and content to observe the communion and sing praises to his name, and bow our head at the appropriate time, and we don't get off of these pews and have any concern about our friends and neighbors that are lost, we are failing in the mission that God has assigned to us. You think I'm mad at you? I'm not angry. I just want us to realize that this is a message from God. This is what God has instructed us. And all of us need to do this. Now, we have different degrees. I believe uh, God expects more out of Brother Kyle than he does out of somebody that, that, that maybe doesn't have a, a, as much ability. But God expects us all to use whatever abilities we may have to his glory and to the advancement of his kingdom. Well, just think what we could be if we would carry forth the commission that God has assigned to us. I'm grateful that it has been suggested that we spend the month of July talking on the subject of evangelism. I know it's an old, old subject. I know that it, it's so uh, preached about that maybe at times it, it might have even become trite and meaningless to us. But, beloved, it's the message from God. 
If you're here today and you're not a member of the Lord's church, and you want to become a Christian, you ask, what must I do? First of all, you must be willing to hear Jesus, not hear what this preacher says or what some man or woman may say, but be willing to listen to Jesus. And Jesus tells you uh, to believe in his Son. The word belief means simply to trust. Do you trust Jesus? Jesus said, John 8, 24, Except ye believe I am he, ye shall die in your sin. Thirdly, he tells us to repent. Repentance is a change of mind that will bring about a change of action. Luke 13, 3, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And in Romans 10, 10, the Bible says, With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then we're to be immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of sin. It is in this action that we are baptized into Christ. We come in contact with the shed blood of Jesus, and we are added to his family. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism and salvation, baptism never follows salvation. In every passage where they are mentioned together, from kiver to kiver in this book, the Bible shows us that we're baptized before we're saved. We're baptized in order to be forgiven of our sins. And that's exactly the message that we need to proclaim. You're here today and you haven't been faithful. Maybe you haven't been a soul winner. Please pray that God would forgive you personally because I don't know who is a soul winner and who's not. There's no reason for you to come forward this morning. We don't say we, you, you're doing wrong by coming forward. But I believe our resolve needs to be within our own heart. And you may be sitting today next to your wife or husband, and you may make that commitment. I'm going to be a soul winner for Jesus. I've been convinced, Lord, from your word that you want me to do what I can uh, to share this message with others. Will you repent for your past failure? And will you acknowledge that from now on, from this day forward, you're going to be a soul winner for the Master? But if you need to respond publicly and you de desire the prayers of the congregation, we urge you to come. Will you come now as together we stand and as we sing?